Welcome to Metal Injections, the Squared Circle Pit. Today's special guest, former WWE ring announcer, Justin Roberts. And now, here's your host, Rob Paspani. Squared Circle Pit. I just realized uh, earlier this week, I've been doing this now for a year. So if you've been sticking with us since the first episode, thank you so much. It's Rob. I'm really excited about today's guest. I have Justin Roberts. He was the ring announcer for WWE for 10 years, and he's got an amazing, amazing story to tell. He just put out a new book, Best Seat in the House, your backstage pass through my WWE journey. And it's Everything you'd ever want to know about how you can become a ring announcer in WWE with the fun backstage tales, some not so fun tales of uh, of hazing and, and straight up bullying by people like JBL. It's a really good book if you're a wrestling fan. I recommend it. And also, Justin does have a metal connection. He works with a little band you might have heard of named Tool. And he works with them on their VIP shows. He's like the host of their VIP experience. And I talked to him a little bit about that. And uh, I actually talked like one of the issues I had when the Tool VIP thing was announced was the $500 price tag to me, Tool, which to me seemed a little outrageous. But uh, after talking to Justin, uh, he, made, he made me realize it actually wasn't that that unreasonable, I'll say. And, uh, well, you know, uh, what's the point of me hyping this up anymore? Uh, you hear the, the natural ambience of New York City in the background. Uh, let's just get to my interview with Justin Roberts. Now entering the squared circle pit, we have a former WWE announcer, and I, I've never been so self-conscious about my introduction as I am now. We have, we have uh, Justin Roberts on the line. Thank you so much, Justin, for taking some time to talk to me here on the squared circle pit. It was a great introduction. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, I want to say, Justin, I am uh, off the bat. I, this is probably bad form as an interviewer, but I am incredibly envious that you got to live your dream and, and what honestly was my dream as a teenager, which was being a WDP announcer. Specifically, I wanted to be the Fink. <laughs> Howard Finkel was, was such a hero. And uh, and it was just so cool watching your rise and and then reading your new book, uh, which is called Best Seat in the House, your backstage pass through my WWE journey and your journey to get to that announcer uh, position was very, very inspiring. And, and it seems like quite a crazy journey for you. Thank you. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was neat. It was something that. I didn't think could ever happen, but I hoped and wanted it to happen and tried everything I could to make sure that it happened. And eventually it happened. So it was cool. Spoiler alert. Just give away the, uh, the <laughs> my book, but yeah, a big part of the book. I made it to WWE. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I feel people following your story probably know that, but I think also it's super, uh, it's a super inspiring story, not just for anybody who wants to, work in WWE or be an announcer, but anybody who's chasing their dream and like wanting to do something that seems so out of reach, like, like you were saying in the book, the position for WWE announcer before you started, it, there was no position. It was just like the Fink and then Lillian Garcia and Tony Chimmel. And it's not like they had active recruiting. You, you fought hard and you worked your way up and you did everything in your power 
to not let that stand in your way. And you got you accomplished your goal just through sheer will and, and force. Exactly. It wasn't like, uh, hey, we're looking for a new ring announcer. It was just, um, it was a position that's always been there. It's just not a position that was uh, casting or looking for anybody. Uh, it's just, there was always somebody there because usually somebody just kind of got pulled into it. Somebody who was in front of the company, who was at the company, they just said, hey, uh, you're a ring announcer now. That's usually how it went. Uh, yeah, and you even mentioned, like, uh, in the book, I remember at one point where you were kind of asking for a raise that uh, WWE producer Kevin Dunn, like, even they didn't take it that seriously. They were like, you know, you could be replaced by a diva. They wouldn't necessarily do as good a job as you, but they would get the job done. Yeah, that was that was how they treated the position. It was just basically, hey, anybody can do it. And, um, you know, it's insulting when, when you know what you put into that position and and you know, not the difference that you make because it's such a, it's a minor thing. You know, it's a supporting role for sure. Um, but when you're, when you're doing a good job, people catch on and people pick up on little things. And uh, when you're not, people pick up on that too. And, and it makes them realize uh, the difference between anybody could do it versus somebody who knows what they're doing. Absolutely. And, and like you said, yeah, if they're doing a bad job, people will pick up on it really quick. Uh, the other thing that really stood out to me was the travel, the insanity of the travel. And you made it a point to be like, you know, you're you're the ring announcer. You're not in there every day putting your, your life on the line, so to speak, and like, you know, putting your body in potential harm's way. But even without that physical exertion, just being an announcer and traveling, it sounds so tough and, and the the grind of traveling like you know the fun part is the three hours every monday or whatever or the the three hours on the weekend at a house show but people don't realize that that's not even most of the job the it seems to me like the real job is getting through the grind of getting through the airport getting the rental car the drives that's the job that's the the, the stuff that people don't warn you about and all the delays the cancellations everything that comes with it travel is for the most part, never the way you, you line it up, you know, you might have to get to, um, you might have to get to, uh, you know, somewhere in Texas and your flight to Houston is canceled. So you have to fly to Dallas and then jump in a rental car and drive to wherever that city might be three hours away, four hours away. Um, it, it never goes as planned and things always come up and, um, it's just, that's, that's what really makes it hard. I always say, like, it was the travel and the politics. That was that was the rough part. Now, when you were, now, you know, you, you've done, I'm sure at this point, like thousands of shows with WWE. And obviously, you know, the fun stuff, being a part of the, the Nexus angle, I'm sure was, was quite memorable and, and all that stuff. But I'm sure there was also droughts, I want to say, like times where you're just sitting there ringside. It's a house show in the middle of nowhere. And you're just like, I just want to get through this and go to my hotel room. Would that be fair to say? Or were the shows themselves always the fun part? The shows um, were usually fun, like house shows were fun. Um, and then they started getting overproduced. And then it kind of became like mini TVs without the TVs. Um, but shows in general, like, they were fun. Um, TVs weren't. I, 
TVs I just wanted to get through because that was, uh, you know, as, as I talked about in the book, a lot of those shows came together as we went, as we were on the air. So you're just three hours of live TV with no idea what's going on. It's, uh, it's a lot of pressure. Those are the ones you want to get through. House shows, you can have fun. Uh, it's, the pressure's different. The politics are a little bit different. Um, so house shows were fun, but TV, you just wanted to get through and um, just wanted to get on to the next town. Yeah, you know, I've read, you know, a ton of Wrestling Observers and stuff like that where people always talk about how, oh, you know, there was a script and two minutes before the show, Vince threw out the script and, and we're just running it on the fly. And I always, I never really took into account how many people that affected until reading your book and reading how you were looking at the script and there was like a point where there was nothing, but you just had to go and say something and you didn't even know what to say. You had no direction. And that must be like incredible, ridiculously stressful because besides worrying about doing a good job, you're standing in front of 20,000 people and you don't want to look like an idiot. And you're, being watched and listened to by millions of people around the world <laughs> right, right, and with social media, they love to jump on you. If there's any sort of mistake or anything, like people will find something that you did or said and say, wait, did you just say this? Like they try to find mistakes, even if the mistakes don't exist. So if you make a mistake because you have no idea what's going on, uh, there's millions of people who are just waiting to call you out on social media for a mistake that, you may or may not have made. That's true. People always love yeah. a good botch. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, yeah, that, that part to me, honestly, as I was reading it, was almost giving me anxiety of just having to deal with the timekeeper, giving you the cue, all that stuff was like, wow, this, yeah. is, this is such a, a more complicated process, especially because there's seems like there's no communication in that. It's, uh, it's funny. I was watching an In Your House uh, pretty recently, and I was watching the ring announcer who's Manny Garcia, who had a, a very short run. And I think he's the only ring announcer, um, like regular ring announcer, full-time ring announcer, who used note cards at WWF. And uh, it's funny. It's because, like, he's got these note cards in his hands. Everything's right there. You could be relaxed. He's got everything right there. It's great when you aren't allowed to use anything, you have all of this information stored in your head and you don't know when you're going to get called out to use it. You don't know who's coming out together or who's coming out uh, separately. You know, if you had guys that were coming out separately, you know, their weights and their hometowns, but now they're going to walk out together. I would do the math in my head and uh, I'd have to figure out their combined weight because now they're not getting their hometowns. Now they're getting a combined weight. So, you have all this information, and then you have to figure out which information you're going to use to deliver in the uh, ring introduction. And one thing that was super interesting, too, is you kind of felt the writing on the wall your last day at the job. And uh, yeah. that that was like like what, you know, you said you kind of had a feeling waking up. Was there any impetus for it? Was it just the, like how you just saw the tide shifting? Totally out of the blue. Yeah, totally out of the blue. We we had just come uh, back from Malaysia, and everything was fine on that tour. We had done shows, we had done TV, then we had gone to Malaysia, we had done a couple of shows there, then we traveled back. So there was nothing that happened, nothing out of the ordinary. I just woke up that morning with a bad feeling in my stomach, and I I didn't know what it was, and I couldn't shake it. And then that night, that's when uh, 
when they told me they we, they weren't renewing my contract, and uh, I'm like, oh, that's what that feeling was. Okay. <laughs> Well, and also from the, the sound of, of the way you're writing the book, you're not right. It didn't seem like you were, it, it seemed very honest. I don't want to make it seem like it wasn't, but it seemed like you were writing with the idea that you don't expect to be back in the WWE anytime soon. You, you feel like No, that, I don't. So. Yeah. After reading that, I mean, obviously I did a lot of really cool things. Uh, I had great experiences. I got to go all over the world. I got to work on all these shows that I grew up watching. Um, I got to be on SmackDown, on Monday Night Raw, on Royal Rumble, Survivor Series, SummerSlam, um, WrestleMania. I got to do everything. So it was awesome. I, I don't feel like there's anything that I wasn't able to do. And at the same time, um, just the way that I was treated while I was there, like I, I wouldn't want to subject myself to that again. What I went through is... I, I wasn't treated well the, the whole time I was there. Upper management always just treated me basically like what we were just talking about where anybody could do your job and that's the treatment that I got and uh, I would always go above and beyond and, and try to help out in any way I could and uh, it just it wasn't appreciated so it's like why would you want to go back and, um, and go through that again yeah uh, I, I was I was very impressed with how uh, proactive you seem throughout the entirety of your career where even at some points they were like, hey, you should stop doing this. Like, I think there was something you, you wrote about how you were trying to find cheaper hotel deals for yourself so they could yeah. bring you on the road more. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that was uh, when I didn't get booked for WrestleMania. Um, they had said, you're going to do Wrestle. So uh, I was supposed to announce WrestleMania, and they kind of pulled the rug out from under me um, on the morning of WrestleMania in Los Angeles. And they said, don't worry, you're going to be announcing next year in Chicago. And I'm you know, from Chicago, so that was cool. Okay, great. Uh, then Chicago came and went, and uh, I was basically the only person who was not brought into WrestleMania weekend in Chicago. And uh, they said, yeah, there's, there's just nothing for you, and it's not in the budget to bring you in. So as soon as they said it wasn't in the budget, I started looking at the uh, the hotel reservations they were making and um, – I just, some of them were kind of absurd because I was pretty good at negotiating a good uh, hotel rate. And uh, I would say, well, you guys booked me at this rate, but hey, I, I went and got it for this rate. So I would keep track of all the money that I was saving them, which was a lot of money. And I would kind of keep them posted saying, here, this is, you know, so maybe if it's not in the budget to have me at WrestleMania, I'm kind of making my own budget available and uh yeah. it like that it's fine like i'm sure from their point of view it's just like a bullshit reason that they gave you but you took them at their word literally okay. and, like, <laughs> and they were like no no look just stop <laughs> uh well uh, if we could just uh, go back a little like talk about uh, your fandom i feel like we grew up around the same time uh, around the same eras what as a fan before you got in the business what was your favorite era of pro wrestling that, that you looked back on fondly like 92, 93, um, I posted a bunch of videos on my Instagram. I, I used the hashtag that path. And uh, it's basically, it shows the path for me getting hooked as a fan to basically my last day on the job. And uh, one of those video clips was like a minute of highlights from like Macho Man getting bit by Jake Roberts Snake. Um, the Undertaker, um, just 
that era, just Ric Flair, uh, Ric Flair, a macho man uh, proposing to Elizabeth, just right. everything that happened that era, the wrestling challenge, superstars, primetime wrestling. I love that stuff. Those storylines, yeah. the characters, the characters were established. They had been built up over time. The storylines made sense. They would, you would see where they're going over a period of four months and then pay off at the, the pay-per-view. Um, it was it was a really good time to be a wrestling fan. I loved it. I, I agree. I agree totally. That was like around WrestleMania 7 and 8. Definitely a nice peak uh, for WWE. For me personally, I think it's like East, the ECW era, like 95 to 98 kind of. And, and that's like when I'm, I'm going back on the net. It's crazy to watch it back as an adult and things that you thought yeah. were like the best thing ever. You watch back and, and the magic's a little gone. You kind of see what they were doing. <laughs> And it wasn't as good. Uh, and so, like, when did you, you know, you, you, what I liked also about the, the book is you talk about working with the AWA. Now, I remember at the time reading about the AWA, it was almost kind of seen, I don't want to say as a joke, that's kind of an extreme, but like not legitimate, especially because uh, the guy running it, like, kind of didn't have the, the copyright for the AWA name and all that stuff. And it seemed like, like it wasn't that big of a deal but for you it was essentially your big break into the business uh and it like you know through a few other steps kind of led to your position in wwe and i thought what was so interesting about that is like even in something where like people are kind of like oh you might not want to work with this this person there was still opportunity to, to be had and you you made the most of it even though you yourself realized at some point that this guy's kind of a con artist I mean, I realized early, early on, probably from the first show, and it was such a sketchy uh, company, <laughs> and our shows were, were pretty shady. Um, you just never know. Like, I would talk to, to him all the time, and I just never knew what was actually going to take place because he would tell me, no, it's going to be this, this, and this. I question, come on, is it really going to be this? Is this person really going to be there? Yeah, of course they're going to be there. Why would they be there? And you get there, yeah, you know, the, the flight got canceled and they're not going to be able to make it, but we've got this instead. And it happened every single show. Right. And I knew what was going on. And I would always try to not talk sense into him, but just come on. You, no matter how good the show ends up turning out, people are still going to have that bad taste in their mouth because they came to see this guy and this guy that you advertised that you didn't book. And um, it, it was unfortunate. Uh, but at the same time, like you said, that silver lining, those were big shows. I was in front of 5,000 people on an independent show. Um, we packed some pretty impressive arenas, and uh, it gave me a lot of experience, and it, it allowed me to work with a lot of guys who had been around and done a lot of things. And um, it was definitely a huge part of helping me out. You know, it, it really, it uh, it played a huge part in my career. So it, it's much bad that, that came with um, working for AWA. So much good came out of it. And, and I love the guys I was working with. And, you know, even Dell. Dell is a character. And, and I still, despite maybe not supporting some of his business practices, <laughs> always liked Dell. Um, you know, I was 19 years old. So uh, it is what it is. But overall, everything was great. And 
I liked working with those guys and for those guys, for sure. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Like for like a 35-year-old wrestler, maybe it wasn't the best career move working with Dale. But for a 19-year-old with no experience, this was as good, like as good of a training ground as you could ask for, especially with, like you were saying, the success of, of the draw. Like indie shows yeah. don't usually get 5,000 people. No. And we don't have to talk about how they got the 5,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> Vampiro and I are sitting in a limo in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, and we look up at the billboard, the giant billboard that says Summer Slam. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder it sold 5,000 seats. Yeah. Um, it's crazy, but uh, it just working with like Sergeant Slaughter and General Adnan were on that show. My first pay-per-view that I watched was SummerSlam, and like here's General Adnan and Sergeant Slaughter on this SummerSlam show with me. Like it's awesome. Right? Yeah. No. Uh, it's it, it was a, a a fun vicarious trip reading your journey and seeing just how hard uh, you, you worked to, to get where you were. And it was interesting. There was a time where you were booking with Nav. Uh, uh, I forget the name of the promotion that you guys had in Arizona. And, Back Zone Wrestling. Yes. And uh, that part was really fascinating to me because, you know, every wrestling fan is a fantasy booker. And you actually got to deal with that. And what I want to know, like, if you weren't announcing what role could you see yourself doing in a wrestling company, theoretically? Like, what what, what is your favorite thing other than announcing? I uh, I got a hell of an education from working at WWE and picking the brains constantly of Paul Heyman, Art Anderson, Fit Finley, um, just so many incredibly talented guys. And I I watched all those shows from beginning to end, just out there with the fans. So I feel like I got a hell of a wrestling education. So now uh, I like, I work with a, a company called Championship Wrestling from Arizona. Their sister company is Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. And I just work behind the scenes and uh, I help produce the shows and I help the guys produce their promos and they'll cut their promo and I'll say, okay, cause I, I want to see what they come up with naturally, what they come up with on their own, what they're feeling. And then I'll say, okay, what if you do this, 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 and this, take this into consideration Let's give it a shot like that and see which one you like better. So just producing is uh, is something that's really fun for me. That's awesome. It's all so it's clear that your passion for wrestling has not waned after leaving WWE because I've talked to a few people. I talked to Arda Ocal, who was Kyle Edwards in WWE, and he says he basically he just doesn't watch wrestling anymore. It's kind of uh, uh, in the past for him, but he appreciates what it was. But for you, that doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's always that special place in my heart. Um, like, wrestling is, is something that's, that I've enjoyed since I was a kid, and um, I didn't fall out of it like most kids did. I just I took it to the extreme. And, um, yeah, there's just there's something special about pro wrestling, and uh, it, just, it makes people happy. It, it puts smiles on faces, so... Uh, you escape to this magical world of make-believe, and um, there's nothing else like it. I always uh, used to roll my eyes when Stephanie McMahon would say, we put smiles on faces. Like, oh, that's such corporate speak. And then I went to a house show, and it was the first house show I would went to since being like a teenager. And I absolutely got what she meant because, you know, I, I always, you know, you, you only watch wrestling through the lens of yourself, an adult right. in my case. But when you go to a live show, 
you see all the kids there and you see them with their families and like there's this excitement that kids have about wrestling it just reminds me of the excitement i had before i was you know a jaded <laughs> internet wrestling fan uh right and, and it and made, you have to see that you you yeah. see that in person and it, it's something like you know what, what you started to say um like I can see it from your perspective, like when somebody from the corporate side is like, we put smiles on people's faces. But when you're actually there and you see that happen day after day and you because I would look around at the arena and I would watch people's faces light up. And it, it's not an exaggeration. There's so many people that just they've been waiting weeks or months for that show since they bought the ticket. And once they get there, they see these superheroes right in front of them. And uh it really does put smiles on people's faces. It's uh, it's really a, a great thing. Yeah, it really it's is. not at all an exaggeration. And, and it really made me have a new appreciation uh, for for what WWE does and kind of made me, like, calm down a little with my jaded self and being like, no, like, the kids love it, you know? <laughs> uh, like, uh, for, for example, with John Cena, you know, John Cena gets a lot of flack on the Internet, Uh some of it I feel a little unwarranted Roman reigns as well, but you show up to a house show and all the kids are going like the kids are in full John Cena garb. They're there to see John Cena. All the other wrestling is inconsequential. And it really uh, speaks to what WWE is doing with their marketing machine. John, uh, John works really hard and um, he, uh, yeah, the people love him. Um, and, and rightfully so he's great at what he does and he puts everything into it. And, uh, you know, he's, he's definitely a great asset for the company. Uh, one more thing I wanted to mention about the book. Uh, and then I'd like to talk to you a little bit about what you're doing with tool. Now, uh, you mentioned about producing the live show, and this is something I never even put thought into. Uh, there were a few, there was a lot of mention of like the production of the live event. Uh, like you were saying earlier in the conversation we were having about how it's kind of just a light TV taping now. I never realized about the pacing of a show, how that would affect the crowd's mood and the crowd's attitude. And I thought about it and like, uh, you're right. Like the commercials just kill the crowd. They're over. They lose their adrenaline a little bit and the pacing isn't as good. I went to a raw a few years ago and I vowed never ever to go to raw again because it is absolutely unbearable to be there live for three and a half hours with all of those breaks. There's, How do you think I felt every week? <laughs> I, that Well, that's kind of what I was alluding to a little earlier. And you mentioned how like the Raws were the toughest thing to get through. I can only imagine it's just so stop and start. I remember I looked at my watch. I'm like, man, how much longer is there left? And it was only, there was still like two hours left in the show. It, it's just, the, yeah. it's like a never ending taping. And, and from the sound of, of how, like, what it sounds like in your book, they don't seem to care. <laughs> like, they just need to get those commercials in. They need to get their bits in. Yeah, when when you go to a TV, when you go to a Monday Night Raw, the focus isn't on that live audience that's come out to see the show. The focus is on the audience watching at home on TV. So the audience sitting there is like, not only do they have to watch some of the weird stuff that comes up each week, but they also have to just kind of sit there during the commercial breaks or like, somebody will come out and make their entrance and then they just stand in the ring and the lights go off and they play a video and that guy's just standing in the ring for three minutes. Um, it's strange. It, it's really strange. So with the house shows, your focus is on taking the audience on a 
psychological roller coaster and gave him a good show with a start, um, middle, and and a finish. There's a you you close the show out. There's an ending to it. Whereas TV doesn't end from week to week. They should leave you hanging for the next episode. But for a house show, it's a beginning, a middle, and an end. So um, there's, there's a right way to do that. And uh, as you read about in the book, it just wasn't getting done the right way. The guy writing the shows wasn't at the shows and not seeing the reactions. Like you talked about when I was running those shows with Nav, um, Impact Zone Wrestling. I was doing those, I would be on the road with Raw, and I would work like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, come home and do that on Tuesday. Well, once I got moved to the Tuesday show, I wasn't around to see those shows anymore, and I wasn't there to see the reactions that guys were getting or not getting. And if I wasn't there, it wouldn't be fair for me to book those shows not knowing what was getting over and what wasn't. So I I couldn't do it anymore. And um, that's kind of the way I feel like the guy who was doing it there, he wasn't at the shows. He was just kind of mailing it in. And then we were the ones that had to go and make a good show out of it, what he mailed in. So um, that's just kind of yeah. how I see it. And uh, you mentioned now, like you're on the road five days a week. And, you know, basically those whole five days, you don't have that much time to yourself. What do you do in the two days that you're off usually? Is it just like running errands and dealing with like day to day stuff that you weren't able to do the other five days? You, you run errands. That's all I did. Um, you, know, you get to sleep a little bit. You'd run errands. You'd unpack. You'd get organized. And then it's time to pack again and head right out. Those days went by very, very quickly. It, was, it felt like it was just always time that I had to pack up again. So, like, when people say there's a wrestling bubble, uh, they're not exaggerating in that your whole life is essentially consumed where you don't have time for anything else in your life. Would that be fair to say? It's- really funny and I and I talk about this too in the book sorry to keep saying that but um, that just shows me that I talked about everything in the book um, <laughs> when I first started going on the road and I jumped in a car with referee Mike Kyoto and ring announcer Tony Chimmel um, I was making all these references they just they didn't get and, and it was just like pop culture and oh that's right yeah like all those movie references any, yeah yeah they, they didn't understand anything I was talking about and I used to watch every movie, every TV show. I, I knew what was going on. I knew every artist, every song that was out. And when I came off the road, like, I feel like I live in a, a different universe now because people will reference different movies or different actors. And I don't know who anybody or anything is because <laughs> for over a decade, I was living in this bubble where I was going and working wrestling shows and then coming home and then going out and doing wrestling shows like I that was my life and I didn't know what was going on in the outside world I right. was tied up for a decade your life was so consumed with producing entertainment you had no time to consume entertainment yeah I, I know wrestling but <laughs> right we can tell anything oh I was wondering I were you around were you around uh, Donald Trump when he came in uh, for Wrestlemania at all did you interact with him uh, for Wrestlemania yeah, he uh, he was nice, <laughs> um, cordial. Like, yeah, he was he was there and around. No, uh, no, like security or anything keeping people from him. He's approachable. He was just there. He was there to be a part of the show. Yeah. Well, uh, now at ringside when he clotheslines Vince, 
at WrestleMania 23. <laughs> <laughs> he also took Aaron perhaps Cole. the worst Stone Cold Stunner in history. Maybe only Linda McMahon can top his sell of the Stone Cold Stunner. <laughs> Uh, but let's talk about what you're doing now. Obviously, you're a busy guy. You got the book. And you're also working with one of the biggest hard rock bands in the world. I'm talking about Tool. Uh, I want to guess that the, the way you kind of started talking to Tool is because Adam Jones is a big wrestling fan. Would that be accurate to say? Yeah. Yeah. We uh, used to talk whenever... Uh, usually it was in Los Angeles when he'd come to a show and we would just talk and uh, we didn't talk about tool we didn't talk about music and we really talk about wrestling which is he was just a really nice guy and we would talk uh about anything else and uh we just became buddies from talking over the years and so how did this uh now i'm i'm, I'm also assuming you you were a tool fan growing up but we didn't talk about this at all like what kind of music you know did you I, listen to i had a couple of their songs Mm -hmm. uh, it was just, I love music, so I have a little bit of everything, but I, I didn't really know Tool. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. Um, and uh, he had asked me about, he, he asked me at SummerSlam when we were in L.A., he goes, uh, would you have any interest in introducing us? We're, we're doing a short tour. Would you want to come to one of our shows and introduce us? I said, yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, so I looked at their schedule, and I looked at my schedule, and I said, if if you're going to be in Phoenix, I'll do it there if, if I'm home, because I was on the road at the time. And if not, you know, I'll, I'll make it work for one of the shows. And um, I just figured something different. And uh, and I knew that I liked a couple of songs that I had. And uh, so I started listening to their music. I uh, saw that they're going to be in Phoenix. I, I was home for like a day or two right before WrestleMania. So I said, oh, this is perfect. I'll, I'll just do it in Phoenix. But I started listening to their music just to see what I was getting into. And I got hooked. Um, I really, really loved their music. It was so different and just instantly. You know how sometimes you listen to music to like hopefully like it? Like, oh, I hope I like this. Uh, and there's kind of like that weird pressure and just trying to, because you're not organically getting interested. You're trying to listen to it to, to see what it's like. So right. um, just started listening to it and uh, I really enjoyed it and ended up getting hooked and ended up becoming a fan based on listening to it to get ready to do the show. And uh, I introduced them at the show. And um, that was it. It was just a, a one-time deal. And, and then I went back to uh, WrestleMania and did my thing. So and, you, uh, wait, so just if I could interrupt, you just came out and were like, and now, ladies and gentlemen, here's Tool. Like something like that, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, it's funny because somebody was like, are you nervous? And I go, no, I, I kind of do this a lot. And... Uh, Adam goes, no, this is different. This isn't a WWE crowd. This is this is a tool crowd. It's, it's not, you know, the WWE audience. I'm like, oh, is this a challenge? Cool. So I went out there and just to see if I was able to, you know, in wrestling, you could kind of not control the crowd, but kind of control the crowd and keep them in the palm of your hand with with your tone and in uh, your excitement and just everything that goes into announcing again it's the psychology and uh i went out there and kind of cut a promo and brought the crowd down and up and down and up and then just ultimately introduced tool and the crowd pop because it's tool you know not just me um yeah e easy pop <laughs> so they uh they came out they did their thing and uh 
and that was it. And um, it was awesome. It was, it was a neat experience, and it showed me that uh, even though it wasn't a WWE crowd, it uh, it was it still kind of worked the same way. And it, it was a really neat experience. And, uh, I was happy for the opportunity. And then fast forward to when I wasn't with the company anymore, um, they were doing a show in Tempe, Arizona, for Halloween. And uh, Adam had called me up and said, hey, uh, have this um, – have this event coming up and I think you'd be perfect to host it and uh, says, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll do that. that. That sounds cool. So, um, and I just like, I like Adam. I just, I like him. So it's like, if he wants me to do something, yeah, I'll do it. Adam, why not? So, um, I did this thing in Tempe and, uh, it was for the VIP for their show. And they did, uh, they just did like a, a special deal and, uh, I hosted it. And afterwards, Adam came up to me and he goes, uh, that was awesome. Um, you have to come on tour with us. And that was it. It wasn't like, do you want to come on tour? It wasn't, you know, he said, I have to. So, okay, cool. Uh, and obviously I, I wanted to. It, it was uh, it was fun. And I figured, cool, I'll go on a tour and, and do this again. And, and it was a shorter tour. And um, I'm guessing really the, I'm guessing the accommodations at a tool tour are much, uh, much more relaxing than a WWE run. You know what? It's it's a great experience. Um, the the whole thing is great, and the idea of after a long day not having to stay awake at the stay awake at the wheel of your rental car um, just makes all the difference in the world. At the end of the night, you get on the bus, go to sleep, and you wake up, and you're in the next town at the next arena. So um, it's it's a lot easier in that sense. And uh, the band's great. Uh, everybody on the crew is great. The the whole production. Uh, is fun and doing these VIP events um, is just a, it's a cool experience because you're hanging out with super fans. These are people who are big fans who obviously want to go and, and take part in this, this special experience. And um, it's, it's really neat because you talk about putting smiles on people's faces. This is, this is a fun event. So if you're, uh, if you're in any of the towns where tool will be, and uh, you see that there's a, a VIP option, Highly recommend going because it's uh, a neat experience, and you get like you get like the best seats for the show as well. I, I would say you'd have to be a mega fan to see this because I saw that the price tag for this VIP thing is like five hundred bucks, and at first I was like, "Well, who the hell would do that?" You know, like that's a lot of money. But yeah. well, the thing is, like, if it was cheaper, then everybody would do it, then it wouldn't be VIP. And at the same time, like I said, you get those like the first, it's like the first three rows, depending you know where we're at. But it's like the first three rows, so you go on StubHub or wherever to buy tickets. Shows sell out immediately anyway. And if you mm -hmm. want the good seats, it'll be expensive. So at least this way, you're paying. A, it's not even a lot. I mean, there are a lot of VIP packages out there that are a lot more expensive, like thousands of dollars. And you don't even get to see the artist. You don't like, there's nothing. You, you get like a program. So uh, I think it's a hell of a deal. But Yeah, I didn't realize that it came with the seats. That certainly uh, changes yeah. the perspective completely. Yep. Uh, that's cool. So do you, did you get any, do you get any hang time with Tool? Have, have you like chilled with Adam on the tour or some of the other guys like Maynard or Danny or Justin? Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're all on the tour together. It's, you know, it's very similar to like the wrestling tours. You're all uh, on the same road in the same arenas, so uh, it's it's been cool. It's a really good group of guys. It's funny going to these arenas that you've gone to for years with WWE, and 
like everybody, like the same arenas, but all different faces backstage. Right. It's like you have to curb your expectations a little or change them up. It's, it's a new experience, even though it's in the same building. Yep, you're not walking on eggshells. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, you know, I, Tool have been working on their new album for over 10 years, or I don't know if they've been working on it over 10 years, but it's over 10 years since they've put out a new album. Have you heard any of the new music? Have any of them played any samples for you? No, nah, I don't. I don't like talk Tool stuff. Um, so I don't, I'm like out of that loop. <laughs> we When we hang out, we talk about, just like the way it used to be with Adam at the wrestling shows, we just talk about other things <laughs> i gotcha i gotcha and now are there any other uh, metal bands that you're currently listening to would you, would you consider yourself a heavy metal fan or just a music fan in i listen to everything i love music i, I really listen to everything if uh if you're in my car like my preset stations are just all across the board um i really listen to everything if you ever look at my social media like the concerts that you'll see me post from just so random i go to everything i just love music that's awesome well justin thank you thank you so much uh, i really appreciate taking the time I, I always wanted to uh have a moment to talk with you and i i very much admire your your passion and your and your 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 hard work and and how much you've accomplished in, in wdb and it's it's quite inspirational i have to say well thank you i really appreciate that appreciate your reading and appreciate your time on this Absolutely. The book is called Best Seat in the House, Your Backstage Pass Through My WWE Journey. How long did it take you to write this book? Uh, about three years. There's a, there's about a year that I just sat on it and didn't do anything, but I'm going to count it. So I'll just say three years. <laughs> right. That was pre-production, right? You know, you got you to gotta think right. about what the book is. Uh, yeah. And I really like the conversational tone of it. It's all like, it, again, it's like you're, we're hanging out and you're just telling me stories. Yeah, that's exactly it. I'm not a, I'm, I don't call myself a writer. You know, I've never really written anything until I just wrote a book and I didn't read any books on how to write a book. So I just, it's kind of like there's backyard wrestling, there's backyard writing. I just uh, wrote. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, it's kind of your, uh, like, back backyard announcing all, you know, you just, you said, hey, right. I'm going to just go do it. Uh, yeah. if, if you want to do something, you got to go do it. You got to put in those 10,000 hours, like Malcolm Gladwell said. You got to put yep. in the work. Awesome, Justin. For sure. Uh, well, you can follow Justin at Justin Roberts. Is that on all your social? Is on Instagram and Twitter? Is that is that it? Yeah, that's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook is the Justin Roberts. And then for everything book related, for links, how to get the audio book, the ebook, the hardcover book, just go to justinrobertsbook.com. And Justin is on tour all summer with Tool doing their VIP experiences, which sound like a, a really fun time. You also get to, to the uh, yeah. VIP experience if, uh, if they're still available. And uh, also I should be doing signings in most of the towns that we're going to. So that information is all at justinrobertsbook.com as well. There you go. You can go see Justin at a book signing and show him your Fink impression. Does anyone come to you now with, with, with Justin Roberts impressions, like doing a John Cena or anything like that? <laughs> they do. I, I get people who, uh, who refer to that as their Justin Roberts impression. I also get people who are um, aspiring ring announcers who just sound a lot like me, which is uh, it's funny. It's, you know, the same way I used to sound like the Fink when, when I was trying to, to get up there. So it's cool. It's really cool. 
And and I feel like now with with indie wrestling, there's so many other places, like so many places for announcers to cut their teeth. I'm sure when you were starting, it yeah. was much it was much harder. For sure, for sure. And there's like more attention brought to it. You know, nobody used to really want to like be a ring announcer, but now you have people trying to be a ring announcer. They they know that I did it, so why can't they? That's true. Yeah, anybody can. You just. You have to find Kevin Dunn at a restaurant after a show one day and just have your face be seen. <laughs> right? It's kind of sealed the deal. Yeah. Uh, that, was, that, that part of the book, I was like, oh, my God, the balls on this guy. <laughs> I would have, I could never. <laughs> yep. But worked out okay. It worked out all right, yeah. <laughs> all right, dude, I'm going to let you go. Thanks again. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate you talking to you. Have a good one, man. Thank you again to Justin. That was a really, really fun time. It was a busy week in pro wrestling this week. Just some quick thoughts. I went to the Ring of Honor New Japan War of the Worlds pay-per-view last Friday, and uh, it was okay. (laughs) Uh, I mainly went for the New Japan guys. I'm super, super into New Japan right now. I want to say it's my favorite promotion. I've definitely said on the show before, it's it might not necessarily be my, my favorite, but I feel like the time I invest... The amount of entertainment I get back, the ratio is at the highest because New Japan always delivers for me personally. And, you know, not to sound like one of those elitists, but I don't know what the hell is going on in WWE right now. I feel like the writing is such a mess. Uh, I will say I am looking forward to this fatal five way for the uh, number one contendership for the Universal Championship at Extreme Rules in three weeks. But that's so far away. We have the Backlash pay-per-view this Sunday. I do not care about Randy Orton versus Jinder Mahal. Uh, I feel WWE have done an awful job, awful elevating Jinder. It seemed to come out of nowhere, and I, I just don't buy him as a top guy so quickly. I feel like there should have been a slower ascension. I am looking forward to Kevin Owens versus AJ Styles. I think that's going to be an incredible match. That should be really, really fun. Shinsuke Nakamura versus Dolph Ziggler, I'm going to say is going to be the best match of the show. Because both of those guys are definitely going to put their working boots on. And it's going to be a fun match. I think I'm more looking forward to NXT TakeOver now that I think about it. As you hear the the New York City bus in the background, I assume. You know, usually I I close my window. But it's super fucking hot (laughs) today. I figured it'd be a nice little ambience to hear what Raba hears when he's recording the show. Uh, But yeah, I'm looking more forward to NXT TakeOver Chicago. I could see Asuka losing her women's title by not being pinned. I hope they remain keeping her undefeated. She's been the best booked person in WWE since she arrived. She's so awesome. Uh, The world title match, I feel like Bobby Roode's probably going to retain. It's a little too early for him to lose. But uh, I think it's going to be an awesome match with Hideo. Uh, The ladder match with the Authors of Pain versus DIY should be phenomenal. And I think it's... It really evens the odds for the match because I feel if it was just a straight-up singles match, you would kind of figure like, oh, DIY is going to get squashed. But with the ladders and the fact that there doesn't have to be a pinfall, it does give them much more of a chance to possibly win. So I don't know who's even going to win that match. So that should be really good. And then we have uh, Andrade Andrade Cien Almas against Aleister Black. Aleister's going to win. It seems like they're doing a party or gimmick with Almas, where he's too focused on his girls. 
And I feel like, uh, I wonder if Cassius Ono has a match. I feel like that dude's kind of due for a nice match. I'm not sure, but I'm looking forward to take over Chicago. It's going to be a fun weekend. And I guess that's really it for me. Uh, as always, you can follow us at Squared Circle Pit on Twitter. No E in circle. Facebook.com slash Squared Circle Pit. And uh, let me know what you think of this episode. And if you have any suggestions for future guests. If not, we'll see you in a few weeks.